Hello, friends. Welcome to the first episode of 2023 for the Tom Broback podcast. This first episode is an absolute hit. I brought on Reed Osi, who is a basketball skills trainer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and he is going to talk about his coaching career, how he developed from being a sideline coach to working one-on-one with basketball players and skill development. I also bring on my brother, Charlie, who played for Reed back in the day, high school AAU days. They reminisce about all the good times they had, uh, both in Charlie's playing career and when Reed started to get into coaching. So I'm pumped to hear both of those stories. Reed has worked with such a variety of players from NBA champion Andrew Wiggins to Gatorade National Player of the Year Paige Beckers, along with thousands of other players from the middle school, high school, college, and pro level. So I hope you enjoy this podcast with Reed and with my brother Charlie. Thank you so much. If you are looking for more information about my train philosophy, my rehab philosophy, what I do, what I think, I created two ebooks at the end of last year. They're both available online. The link will be in the show notes. So one is about uh, how you can use isometrics in your training and rehab program. And the other one is called Rookie Rehab. This goes over everything you need to know to start your rehab, especially if you're a basketball player and especially if you're having tendon issues, whether it's your shoulder, your knee, your hip, or your Achilles. All those things are covered in my ebook. So check those out in the show notes. Make sure you're following this podcast. It helps me so much to know people are gaining value from the guests that I bring on. And then make sure you're following me on social media, both on Twitter and Instagram, at Tom Broback. If you have any questions about training or rehab, please shoot me a DM on social media, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks again for listening. A lot of people know who you are from social media, from your work in Minnesota, working with basketball players all the way from middle schoolers all the way to the very top level, WNBA, NBA. When you first started, how did you set up your systems, your beliefs, your culture, your company to embody the the values and the mission that you had in mind from day one? So prior to getting into the player development space, um, I, I've kind of always been in basketball and my dad was a high school coach. So I spent every day since third grade in the gym. And then when my playing career ended, I, I spent seven years working on college staff. So I worked at four different schools. So in the process of kind of growing as a, as a college coach, I got to learn, you know, from four different head coaches in seven years, which I think is pretty unique. I mean, it's not, it's not super unique, but at a young age, most guys are hanging around. For, I was at a spot for two years, for three years, for one year, for one year. And I got an opportunity to learn quite a bit. So then when I, when I moved to New York city in, excuse me, in 2014, um, I got into the player development space and I was fortunate enough to get connected with a guy named DJ Sackman, um, who I think is, is the best in the world. He's phenomenal. And so I really learned, the business side from him um, in terms of, you know, how to, how to monetize this and make this a full-time job, but making sure that it was structured around providing value for kids. Cause I think so much of the time we look at things like any, any type of sport um, situation, it's now just being monetized in any way, shape or form. And I think people are taking advantage of people. So DJ taught me early on, like, this is about providing value. Like you can make a good living doing this, but um, in terms of long-term sustainability, you need to treat people the right way. And which wasn't going to be a problem for me. Cause I knew that being a college coach and my work ethic, but you also need to provide value. And then that's going to help spread, you know, word of mouth is going to take off. And that's exactly what happened. And so in 20, the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, I moved back to Minnesota and really launched Catalyst Training on my own. I had been coming back in the summers from New Jersey and New York City to run camps, but really coming back 2017 is when we kicked it off. And so I knew that it was going to be about developing um, a culture of athletes 
that wanted to be not only in the gym with me, but wanted to be in the gym with the other athletes that we had in the gym. Um, we ran into some issues in New Jersey where we launched some programs that really took off where we had like 70 members and we really took anybody. And in the process, we had some really good players that are really good high school players right now, um, six, seven years down the road. But we had some kids that weren't that it turned into babysitting stuff. And those good players were like, hey, we like working out with you, but we just can't work out with these kids over here because they're killing all the drills. And so I, I took what I learned um, on the East Coast and really tried to build relationships with people and get the right people in the gym. And that, that actually kind of made the development of the company a little bit slower than I think I could have. I could have taken more kids right away, but I knew that it was really important to take the right kids. And that's how we built it. I wanted to make sure that people were comfortable in the workouts and word of mouth spread. And that's kind of how we built it. When you talk about taking the right kids, when you first start working with an athlete, what qualities are you looking for in a basketball player? Not only like, are they a good fit for you, but you can see they're going to be a good fit for the team that they play on for the future coaches that they play for. And like, they're overall just a good person and good teammate. What kind of qualities are you looking for right away? Well, um, it's pretty easy when you come and see a kid come in the gym, just kind of their demeanor, um, coachability, respect. Um, and you can tell right away in how I kind of approach things where I want to give them things that not only challenge them from a skill standpoint, but also mentally, we want to be able to think the game too. And so it's pretty easy for me to put players of all levels in a spot right away. That's going to challenge them. Maybe not. You look, you look at something you're like, okay, this outside linebacker looking dude just walk through this no problem and you look at a guy like Andrew Wiggins where people would say like well you know what would he want to learn from you what could he learn from you well if we put him in a situation that makes him think and challenges him I'm going to find out pretty quickly their coachability and so we saw that with you know high school kids youth kids a lot of the overseas guys that I had right away when we came back we're just looking for their coachability and then how are they in groups in, in a group setting with other people around? Like, is this going to be, are they going to be selfish? Are they going to be just totally focused on themselves or are they going to not only look to help other people in the group, but then also learn from other people in the group? I think that's a really important aspect of just the kind of the vibe uh, of the group. It's like, if I'm struggling with something, I want to look over and try to find somebody that's doing it right and can I learn from them? So that's going to be a give and take relationship. So if someone's not figuring it out and player A has, has it figured out, is he going to be open to questions or being able to talk through some of that stuff? Because I know there's probably going to be a situation when they're going to need help too. And so we want to make sure that they can reciprocate that both ways. One of my challenges with working with athletes is I'm always like very positive, very optimistic. Like, Oh, it's going to be okay. Like you're going to be fine. Like you're good. But sometimes athletes lead, they need a little more constructive criticism. They need more, uh, kind of like direct feedback. Like, Hey, that wasn't okay. Hey, that's not good. Hey, you're not doing this well. Have you struggled with that as all as a coach where it's like, Hey, I'm trying to be overall an optimist, but I need to give this feedback when warranted to, to certain athletes. I think it, it hasn't been a struggle for me because I, I feel like I want to have a really good understanding of a concept before I teach it so that I am able to make corrections. So number one, one of the things for me is that I, I needed, I knew that I needed to be really skilled. I was never a great athlete. And so I understood the ins and outs of these movements and what I was trying to get. Like I maybe couldn't, be able to carry them out against a high level athlete, but I understood the purpose of them. And so really understanding the background of that helps me help players correct mistakes. So I want to put them in a position where I think they can, some players like, Hey, let's try to like help generate some success early on before we really challenge them. And some it's the opposite. They just want to be thrown to the fire. And so you find out really quickly which players need a little bit of pat on the back um, and then which players don't want that. They're just like, no, just throw me to the fire and let's figure this thing out. And so having, I think, a really good understanding of the concepts that we're trying to go over has helped with that. But then there's also, I got a lot of experience where I can talk through this stuff with players. Like number one, if I'm giving you stuff that you already can do, I don't necessarily think 
this is going to be as beneficial for you as it could be. And then I can also give high level examples. Like when side note, like when I moved back, I did things opposite. Most time you start with youth players and work your way up and get some NBA players. But when I came here, my only clients were like Cole Aldrich and Jared Bergeron, who works for me, who was playing NBA summer league at the time, John Luer, who made $60 million in NBA. Those were the clients that I had. And so it was the exact, it was the exact opposite. Most of the time you're just like fighting a clone with the youth, youth kids to get a higher level client. So for me, working with those high level clients, like they take, they take coaching, they take criticism well, and they're not only do they take it well, but they're actually looking for it. So where I got pretty good at that was it's, it's much harder at times to find those things that need fine tuning with an NBA player. You get you throw a fourth grader out there. You're like, Oh, that's not right. Like there's 47 things we can correct, but I look at it as like you have different types of mechanics. You have a guy that works at a Toyota dealership that changes oil. And then you got a guy that works in the NASCAR pit and the guy who works in the NASCAR pits trying to get that car to go from 201.4 to 201.6, right? They're trying to like, they really got to know the intricate details. And so working with professional athletes really helped me see the big picture. Like, Hey, what needs fine tuning here? And then was able to just kind of carry that into working with younger athletes just made it easier because I, I, number one, I knew that if I was going to correct a pro athlete, I had to be right. Like they're confident, like you better <laughs> not, you better not be wrong if you're going to correct them. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And then, so that helped build my confidence with that, but that also helped me see, I needed to know every single aspect of the things that I was teaching, which made it easier with the youth as well. Did you ever have a moment with a pro athlete where like you left the session and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, what did I just do? Like, did you ever just like really, and like, it obviously made you like a better coach later on, but did you ever have like a, Oh my gosh moment? I did. So one of my first, I was, I was just traveling back in the summer and I'd gotten connected with Jared Bergeron, who now has worked for me for four or five years is a good buddy, but he worked, he's six foot 10, six, 11 played at Wisconsin. So he worked with a bunch of, bigs they lifted in the summer john luer was playing in the nba was his college teammate and then cole aldrich was coming and so cole i think was with the clippers at the time and i knew i got connected with him through another mutual friend and so we go to this workout and i'm like hey i'm gonna just i gotta show these guys that i know what i'm doing and it's funny because cole is like a really good friend now like where he's retired and he's sending snapchats of his kid every day and like we're close but my first interaction like we're gonna challenge them with some footwork and some ball handling stuff. And Bergeron was like all in. We did like four reps and Cole like looked at me and I was like, Oh, he has zero interest in doing <laughs> anything. Like, so we, I picked up on that and it was like, that was one of those like time to pivot. And then had another one with, you know, with the, the high level guys, you have, you have guide, like there's a couple different approaches that, that they take is like, Hey, I gotta be, I gotta be better. I got, I want to like, learn, like an Andrew Wiggins is like, Hey, I got to I'm an all around player. There's not a lot of players like Andrew Wiggins that can score like in the post in the mid range can shoot the three stuff like that. Most of them are more of like a, they have a role. And so they, they just know their role and that's who they are. And that's why they're getting paid. And so you, I have to navigate that early on. I had like John Luer in the gym and we were, we were doing something and, and it had a purpose to it. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was going to challenge his feet. He was like, well, I do it like this. And I was like, and that's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it just like that. Right. <laughs> and like, these are guys that I'm, that I'm close with now, but it's interesting. Like, I didn't have a ton of credibility other than a couple guys said, Hey, this is a good guy. You should work with him. And so trying to earn that credibility, I also needed to know like, okay, when do I push, push back a little bit? And when do I just like, Hey, this is, this is what you do. Like a Cole Aldrich, he wants to be in shape. He wants to get green and roll reps and post touches. But I mean, he's not, I don't know if he ever scored 20 in an NBA game. That just wasn't his role. And so, mm-hmm kind of had to navigate that like okay i know you don't really do a lot of this but 
do you want to get a bunch of shots at the end of the workout? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, okay. Cause you don't ever shoot jump shots, but something that, you know, he knew like, Hey, if I'm going to stick in the league, this is something I need to add. So I, this was constantly navigating that, but there were some moments in there where it was like, and we're going to pivot. I asked that question because so many coaches have those moments and that's where they learn and grow and develop. And then so many young coaches and for Charlie and I, like so many young therapists, they really like, they're afraid to screw up. They're afraid to make mistakes. They like, want to do everything perfect. And then like the, you never grow in like that comfort zone. Like you grow when you make mistakes, when you fall flat on your face. I had a, like a middle school athlete the other day and I tried so hard to make the session fun. Like she played tennis, but really wasn't sporty. So we talked like game of Thrones. We talked Harry Potter. We talked like the books that she was reading and at the end, she kind of like rolls her eyes. I was like, what's up? She's like, this isn't fun. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I tried so hard to make this fun for you. And like, I, like I didn't succeed, but then I learned like, okay, this is like, this wasn't fun for her. I got to do something better, something next. And I have to grow. And I think it in the time, like it's, it's awful. Like I got to pivot or, Hey, this didn't work. But those are the moments in our, in our careers and in our personal life where it's, Hey, this is where I really developed and grew from this because I failed I learned from it and now the next time I have that opportunity the next athlete that comes in the next NBA guy the next WNBA player I'm not gonna make that mistake same mistake and they're gonna be like, wow like this this guy knows what he's doing because he's he's tried and failed so many different times and, and he's learned how to grow from it I think that goes that speaks to the importance of mentorship um, and I think mentorship is something that number one, that people don't necessarily seek out because it's uncomfortable. And if you have a good mentor, a good mentor is going to be like, Hey, don't do this, do this. Right. Like, and it's going to help you walk along that path. And we didn't generally don't like that. Well, that was one of the things that DJ Sackman <clears throat> taught me that he did such a great job with me. Like there were times where he was like, we were, for example, we were filming, and this was right when like Instagram went from pictures to 15 second videos. So it was like, he got really good at jamming as much junk into a 15 second video as possible. And I was filming so much of the stuff that I was doing. And like I said, like I'm a, I'm a really skilled basketball player. I'm a terrible athlete. And so like, we always joke, like if there was a sliding scale of skill and athleticism, like there's never been a bigger gap. Like I might be the most, <laughs> skilled least athletic guy on the planet <laughs> and so but to my point like being super skilled I could do all of this stuff I could show it I can demonstrate it I can teach it and DJ one day said like why are you doing this I'm like um everybody does it like this is the whole industry and he's like listen <clears throat> as soon as you start posting stuff for yourself as a player then you throw yourself in the same category as me or a Jordan Lawley played high level division one or Tyler Ralph, all these guys. And he's like, then people are going to be like, where'd you play? And then as soon as they say, well, where did you play? And it's not at a super high level, then you lose credibility because you've just self categorized yourself mm -hmm. as a player. He goes, you're a coach. There's not very many people in this industry that have, that are full-time player development independently that have seven years of college coaching experience. You can demonstrate this stuff. You can do this, but you put yourself in a category that's going to take away your legitimacy. You have to like be the coach, be that guy. And it, it totally changed the way that I viewed the game. That is super helpful. And yeah. that's where a mentorship saves you years of your life yes. of wasted effort, wasted time misdirected energy because of that what one conversation it's like oh now like he saw something that i didn't and now i can and speaking of mentorship charlie we're gonna bring you in now you played for reed and this is how i first met reed is you played for him growing up what was reed like i know he's a mentor to you both you know when you were playing basketball and and and, and personally what was he like uh playing for him as a coach in his earlier days yeah so i that was what 2011 that I played for you. So you yeah, were so. pretty fresh in your coaching journey. Yeah, but I, was, then, I think I was 20. I think I was about 22. That's a good question, Tom. Because <laughs> you know, thinking back to those 
days, which is what, 12 years ago. And then actually like a couple, like in 2021, winter of 2021, I went and just like helped rebounded for like a couple of his sessions. And like a lot of like the energy and like the, the way that Reed approaches everything, it just like brought back all those memories of playing for him. Like not much has changed. Like he, he's always been, he brings a ton of energy to his sessions. He gets kids excited. Um, he's very positive, but constructive. Um, he's just, a, he was always like a really easy guy to play for and to like get excited to do what he says, because he, I think early on, he just, it's hard with AAU because it's a co- random collection of guys, a lot of different personalities, skill levels, like AAU is kind of weird like that. Um, but then he, I think just the way he approaches his coaching style, there's a lot of buy-in right away. At least there was for me. Um, our situation was a little unique, but it's he's pretty easy to kind of trust and buy into like what he's saying. It's like, okay, this guy's genuinely trying to make me a better basketball player, a better teammate, better person. So, and then it, it was cool seeing that just like observing him at a couple sessions, a couple years ago, like a lot of those core principles are still there. And I think that that says a lot. Um, it says a lot about him and it, it, I think can speak to like why he's having so much success right now. I like that a lot. And I think a lot of us who have had good coaches have those same, they saw those same qualities and they seek out those same uh, uh, kind of that, that feedback, that buy-in, that energy. Like you want to be coached by someone who cares about you, who is invested in you. And then for us, we've all grown into either coach uh, coaches or therapists and we want to treat these athletes the way we want to be treated growing up where they they cared about us you know how many points do you score okay cool like how was your family vacation like how are you doing in school like how are you like how are your stress levels like can you care about me more than if i score 20 points or not not that i scored a lot of 20 i had one 20 point game <laughs> in my career just for the record but um and that was 9B too. So if we're talking talking about, you know, categorizing yourself as a player, and this is another issue. It's like, as a therapist, I was like, okay, I should just show myself like working out and doing sprints and stuff. And it's like, you're identifying as an athlete, Tom, and you were like a JV athlete at best. So that is some good advice from you as well. It's like, don't categorize yourself in something that you're not trying, like, that's not your role now. Like you're trying to be a coach, like develop yourself, categorize yourself as a coach. Uh, Reed, so go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, when you talk about good coaching, I had really good coaching. Like, my dad was my coach, and I think my dad did a really good job. We had to navigate the, like, father-son relationship that was difficult. Um, and and I was young and immature, and I didn't think that I was necessarily treated fairly at times. But I, now I look back on that now, and I'm I'm grateful for how he handled that situation and navigated it. Like, moved kids up to varsity before he moved me, even though I probably deserved it. But he kind of let them wet the bed and then was like, all right, we'll bring my kid in here. And I had to navigate some of that stuff. So like number one, the courage to do the right thing. I learned from my dad. And then when I ended up transferring, he came with, he was an assistant coach. I had a really good high school coach named Greg Preston who won like 450 games. And I've never met a coach that cared less about basketball. That was really good. Now he cared a lot about basketball, but he cared more about, excuse me, cared way more about, how we went about things, the player, all that stuff. And I actually went through some tough stuff right before I graduated. So I'm done playing for him. Senior year is done. And I'm sitting at his house. And I remember his wife was like, hey, can I get you a pop? And I looked at my phone. It was 2.15 in the morning. I was like, oh, my God, I got to get home. My parents are going to kill me. And I look back to that like, you, you, I have nothing left to give you. And you're still like fully invested in me as a, as a player. And so I know that was something that was like, okay, I I noticed it then, but realistically I noticed it a lot earlier. And I had a college class on coaching. They used the line that players don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And so I really love that line because I saw the impact of it firsthand is that these coaches that 
that cared about me really invested in me, not only as a player, but once I the coach Preston got me my first coaching job without me knowing, like called a guy and was like, Hey, you need to, he's, he probably doesn't know that he's going to be a coach, but he's going to be really good at it. And so I think you should, you should give him a shot. And so that got me my first coaching job. And then to Charlie's point about like 10 years down the road from when he first was introduced to me as a player and then watching, watching my workouts, I, I had really good mentorship. Like I said, DJ Sackman, Greg Preston, my dad, that was just like, you know, be who you are. And so I'm not surprised that Charlie would say, I mean, it's a compliment. And I, I think that's really cool that he's like, no, I was like the same guy at 22 years old. I was really young and dumb and didn't know what I was doing, but I worked really, really hard. And then I was just, I was me. And then as I worked harder, I became a little less dumb and just continued to be me and fine tune who I was, but there was never any, like, I mean, who you see at home, who you see at the mall with my twin boys, who you see on the, on the floor. Yeah. There might be a little bit different set of intensity in different situations, but I'm the same guy. I'm the same guy at home as I am on the floor. When I get an athlete to come into therapy and then like, it's like the eval and we're in the room and they start doing some exercises and stuff. And if they're like middle school or high school, I'll be like, Hey, like what music do you like? And they get like really shy and they don't want to say, and I don't know. Cause the parents say or what. And it's like, all right, like, do you like Taylor Swift? Do you like Drake? Do you? And it's usually like a yes to one of those early ones. And I'll just like put music on like while they're doing their exercises and it's like, to me, I think that would make the session better for them. So we're not sitting here in silence. They might like it a little bit more. And that's like my way to show like, Hey, like I want your knee to get better, but I also like carries you as a person. Like, how can we make this session more fun? Do you have any kind of like unique things that you do read to show that your athletes like, Hey, like <laughs> I, I obviously want you to score more points and be a better basketball player, but also like, here's some things I'm going to do to show like I'm investing in you like as a person and like to grow our relationship. Cause I just care about you to a question for you when you ask them if they like taylor swift do you like have your fingers crossed and you're like please say no please say no because you're like i don't want to listen to taylor swift for the next 90 minutes <laughs> uh <laughs> i actually kind of like taylor swift so i can't i can't sorry about that oh, but, um breaking yeah. news <laughs> no I, I, i'm actually a little pumped I'm like all right like at least it's something i enjoy too yeah yeah no i'm i'm just kidding kind of not really but um <laughs> No, I, one of the things that I try to get, uh, it, it could be like you're a little kid and you're, and you're going to get into the deep end of the swimming pool for the first time and you got life jacket floaties, you got everything on there's, you're not going to sink and it's, and it just seems super scary. And mom or dad is going to have a pep talk like, Hey, it's going to be okay. I can tell you it's going to be okay, but I might need to just like pick you up and throw you in the water and you're going to freak out. And then you're going to be like, I'm floating. Right. And then you realize it's not that bad. And so one of the things that I try to do with, <laughs> with kids is I try to connect with them, you know, ask them some questions. Like where, if it's somebody that knew that I don't know, like, where do you go to school? Try to find like a mutual connection, mm -hmm. whether that's a person whether that's a situation or you know, whatnot, something that I can connect with them on. <clears throat> and then I also try to show them that, Hey, if you screw up, it's really not that bad. I think kids have such a fear of failure. Like I'll tell like kids, I'll ask kids, like, why'd you come in here? Like, well, I came in here to get better. Okay. That's obvious. <clears throat> but in order to get better, we're going to have to navigate failure. And I would say that failure is feedback and so instead of getting caught up on the failure aspect and like focusing on avoiding it, it's like, Hey, can I put them in a situation where as soon as I see them fail, like maybe I can clap louder than they've ever been clapped for when they fail. Because, and so if I can do that, then I take their whole mindset or their metric for success. And I just flip it on its head. Like, wait a minute. I just dribbled off my foot. I just tripped. I just, in my head, I look like an idiot this dude's like clapping for me, right? Cause I know that, Hey, you were pushing the limits there and you exceeded your limit for now. So now if I can encourage you and kind of shock you into, Oh, 
he doesn't he doesn't look at this as a negative thing. Now what I've done is I've maybe tried to flip a switch there and now I can get them to go do it again. Now we can talk through it and then maybe give an example of, hey, here's a high level player that you know. Okay, you think they can do everything. The first time we introduced the same concept, they couldn't get it either. I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah. The difference is that they just keep plugging away. And so you're going to figure this out too eventually. It's the same game. It's the same skill set. If, if we can do that, then we just kind of change, like, what is their metric for success or a good workout? Oftentimes we think it's, I shot the ball really well, or I didn't fail a bunch. Where for me, it's like, can we actually encourage the opposite? And then if we can do that, then we get players really excited to come in and they're con- it just changes the way they view the game. It changes their confidence. I see a lot of parallels between coaching and therapy and in school, they really encourage you to be like a biology major or exercise science or even like chemistry. And then there's also like the psychology part. And like the older I get, it's like so much of what we do is obviously connecting with people and understanding. So for you, it's like reverse psychology. Like I'm going to cheer when you fail. Cause we're going to like change those wires in your brain. We're going to change your attitude. We're going to change your effort. And so much of it is understanding what motivates people, what drives people, what insecurities do they have? What fears, what anxieties, how do we get those? Cause so much of it is in their head when they get on the court and if they can't yeah. deal with that on their own. You as a coach have to be there to help them. And Chaz, I know you'd agree with this as much as we talked about yeah. kind of different psychological impacts and issues, uh, in, in our lives and, and with athletes and, and the people that we treat. But I think uh, there's so much psych impact that, that coaches benefit from the best coaches understand how to navigate people. Would you agree with that Chaz? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Especially when you're working with uh, middle, like youth, middle school, high school kids, they're like, their brains are so wired to like essentially avoid fa- failure. Like, whether it's at home, like if you do something wrong, your parents punish you, you get grounded, you have to do chores. Um, if they're at school, like if you get a question wrong, you get a bad grade. And then um, I don't think they're ever like, and I'm assuming a lot here, but I, I think it's a pretty safe assumption. Like a lot of kids coming up these days, like are taught that failure is not a good thing. But if you ask anyone, like, anyone who's success, excuse me, successful at anything they do, they talk about how much they've learned more from their failures than, than, than their successes. So you get kids who go through, like I saw kids in grad school, like they went through, they had straight A's their entire life. And as soon as like professionally, they had something that challenged them or that set them back or a shortcoming, they, they didn't know what to do. And when you're, 26 27 28 years old it's a lot harder to rewire your mindset versus when you're 9 10 11 12 13 so i think reed that's really cool i think that's i would argue that's not the norm for anyone in any sort of coaching role to like encourage these failures to celebrate failures because the kids just don't ever get that so when they do and when you see that click in them i imagine that's a pretty fulfilling feeling that you get when they kind of embrace the failure and then subsequently when they kind of master whatever it is you're trying to teach them. Oh, totally. And, and like, to your point, like everything in their life, the way it's structured, like I could go, I could go down a long tangent here about how, how screwed up I think our education system is at the, at the high school and the elementary middle school level in terms of like standardized testing and like, no, we're going to just, you're just only allowed to do it this way. Like for me being my dad's manager as a third grader, like then I would water bottles and clean it up stuff, but I would also keep stats. And so like doing that or playing, like if I played video games, I would play I'd play football or basketball or baseball. And so I'm constantly, constantly running numbers in my head. And so as a, as a fifth grader, it was like, Oh dude has 73 assists in, in 13 games. And I could figure out like close to his average in Mm -hmm. my head 
And I guarantee you the way that I solved those problems, if you were to ask a math teacher, they'd have been like, that is the most backwards way possible. Like I'm a big Peloton guy. That's like how I compete. And so like, for me, I'm like, if I'm going to go an hour, I'm going to get like an output of a thousand, which is like 16.6 a minute. So I pick 17. So I'll be sitting here. I'll be like 26 and a half minutes in and I'm doing the math. Like, am I on pace? How many am I ahead? Like, and all those years of just like doing math, for example, it's probably super backwards. But then when I became a college coach, at, when I got to Bethel University, they gave me a camcorder and a computer and said, you're a film guy, figure it out. And so I would figure stuff out like in the most backwards ways. When I started my own company, I had no background. People were like, man, your website looks great. Who did it? And I'm like, I did. I Jimmy rigged the heck out of it. Like if you were to ask a graphic designer, there was things that took me five times as long as it should have because I didn't know what I was doing, but I figured it out. And so when like you have these kids that are just taught, like you can't fail, you can't fail. Like got to the point for me, like in the graphic design space, I didn't think that I knew what looked good, but I felt like I knew what looked bad. So I would like do something. I'm like, I don't know if that looks good, but that looks bad. So I got to switch something until it doesn't look bad. And so many people aren't wired that way. They like, it's got to look great. Or I have to I have to count a certain way or I have to do things a certain way. We're so hardwired to do that. And in that process, there's no, we don't make mistakes. And then, or we don't learn from our mistakes. We're so focused on the perfection because that's really what's demanded in, in a sense of like, this is Charlie, you have to do it and you have to do it this way. And you're like, maybe you don't work that way, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, but your brother does. Like there's like, there's so many different ways we can do this. And for me, I, from a basketball standpoint, I just spoke at the girls high school coaches association clinic. And I gave this example. I said, you have LeBron James and Luka Doncic. I said, they both are averaging about 30 points a game, about eight, nine rebounds, six, seven assists. It would be really silly for me to expect Luka Doncic to solve problems the way that LeBron James solves problems. LeBron's 6'8", 6'9", 260. He's a freak at almost 40 years old. Luca's like 23, 40 pounds overweight, slow. Yeah, but he solves problems. It would also be silly of me to expect Luca to like, hey, just like go jump over that guy and finish at the rim. Like he can't, he can't do that. But that doesn't mean that his method of solving problems is wrong. It's just different and so to teach kids how to do that it just opens up opens up their their game like you get a coach that's like no you have to finish this way that's like dude you're physically disqualified from finishing that way like you're not tall enough you're not athletic enough Megan Gustafson won national player of the year for the Iowa Hawkeyes in 2019 best women's college basketball player in the country a year later or six months later she got cut in the WNBA because her her only method of problem solving was working really, really hard. So she would work really, really hard and she'd get to the block and she'd like, like dominate at the college level. She scored 35 points in a, in a college game on zero dribbles. Like, think about that. That's like unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And, and she gets to WNBA and she does the exact same thing. Now she turns and that's Brittany Griner or Liz Cambage at six, eight or six, nine. That's like, Meg, you can't finish. You're six, three. Like you can't, your method of problem solving does not translate. So you have to change up your problem solving. And she's got a contract offer to go back to the Phoenix Mercury. She's leading the Euro league in scoring right now, like by four or five points a game, she's absolutely dominating. And it's, we just had to change the way that she solved problems. She was just like, I got to work hard. I got to work hard. It's like, yeah, you have to work hard, but you also have to work smart because you're just, I'm not going to out jump Giannis. Right. So I can't, just think if I just work really, really hard, I'm going to do that. It just doesn't work. And so we have to teach kids how to do that. And I actually think basketball is a tool that if we can get kids to think that way, we can get them to think similarly off the floor. Reed, how do you balance that with younger kids, especially like to use like your example with uh, Megan Gustafson, she like, she worked really hard, but like physically, like her like physical traits aren't changing. She's not going to grow five inches she's not going to develop 
this like insane vertical. Um, mm-hmm. How do you approach that with younger kids who are still very either physically immature or just like they're 12 years old? Like you're not, you're not yeah. at that, at that level. They still have that potential to grow. So how do you, how do you modify that or how do you approach those kids? So I say this a lot that I try to not speak in absolutes like this is right. And this is wrong. It's just like, this is effective and this is not because the way basketball seems to work is if you do something and I tell you, don't do that the next time down the floor, that's generally exactly what you should do to solve the problem. And I think the best basketball gods have a way of throwing that one back in your face. And so for me, like oftentimes when I, when I run the group sessions, I might have a six foot four guard in there and I might have a five foot nine guard. And so we try not to script everything. So there are times when we're going to script everything, but then there's also times like, Hey, we're going to script our start and then we're going to get to this specific stop and then you're going to get out of it. And then you got to be able to play and finish at the rim. Now there's no defender there, but you have to be creative. And so one guy might be able to get there one stride and jump off their right foot and finish with their right hand. But the young, the smaller kid, might not be able to do that can't cover as much ground so if they try to do that you're just like okay hey I don't know that that's necessarily wrong but let's look at the situation here the defense presents problems how do we solve them the first step is being able to acknowledge you know be able to define what the problem is and so then I can help players see the game and when they see the game then it's like oh yeah that might not work So let me try to get to something else. And so that's the biggest thing there. Like, I think we see so many youth coaches. Hey, when you're on the right side of the rim, you have to jump off of your left foot and you have to finish with your right hand. And that's not a bad habit, but there are situations when they get close enough to the rim and their right foot is there and they don't need to take another step. And so they should jump off their right foot and finish with their right hand. If you watch high level basketball, they do that all the time. And yet we tell a player, no, you have to do it this certain way. The next thing you you notice is these players start taking, we call it a bicycle step where I just go right to left. I basically just switch my feet because my third grade coach told me I have to jump off of my left foot. And so when we do that, we're like unintentionally building a habit that at some point down the road, we're going to have to break because they get to a higher level. Like if you take that extra step, but you don't, go anywhere that all that did all that did you didn't take space you just took time and now that defender is able to recover and that's a contested shot or a blocked shot instead of an uncontested shot and so at the at the younger ages I'm like let's just instill this like the same stuff that I would do with a high level player let's put them in situations where we give them the opportunity to do those things and I think it's a little bit easier to correct down the road um, you just like your body, your body wants to do things naturally. And if you are in a, a movement that seems natural and it looks like it's going to work, like let's let you do that and get control of that movement before we just start switching it up and making you do things that might not make necessarily sense in that, in that situation, if that makes sense. The best example of that is like the plyo step or the false step. So many coaches try to like coach you. Like I remember in high school football, they try to coach me out of it. It's like, I literally can't move when my feet are right next to each other and I need to go forward. I need to put one foot backward so I can go forward. And, Uh and at the time I didn't know, like, I didn't know acceleration. I didn't know mechanics. I didn't know how to argue it, but Mm -hmm. it's like, I am way slower, like stepping sideways, tripping over my feet, looking goofy. And it's like, here's the problem. And we're all biased towards the solution that works best for us. So for me, I'd be like, Hey, this works best for me. It must work best for everybody. But what you're saying is here's the problem. You can figure out your own solution and let's try to make it as most efficiently and effective as possible. And if it works, then it works. Like it doesn't matter if it was my idea, your idea, whoever's, but that the goal is to get to the solution. It's not, it's, it's finding an efficient and effective process but that might look different than when I grew up, what I was coached, what I was told, what I was, and we stick to what we're first told so often. It's so hard to unteach and unlearn that, whether it's a concept or a skill or a strategy. And we're just like, we get so burnt into these ideas because it's like, this is what I learned. This is right. And then everything else is wrong. It's like, 
nah, there's actually like 30 different ways to do it. And you pick yeah. one of the ways and you haven't tried the other 29. So you can't tell me they're wrong. It seems like you embody that super well. Well, I, and, and I do this when I speak to coaches, I'm trying to like change the way that we teach kids where I think so many coaches view the game of basketball. Like we would view flex offense. I go from point A to point B to point C I've eliminated all these variables. It's super controlled. Right. And, and we, and we do it that way. When in reality, I'm like, it's me and nine other knuckleheads on the floor. Like think about how we choose to communicate in basketball. We have like hand signals and keywords. Like we just like shout out like four cross and like, it's not the most effective forms of communication, right? Like the game is mass chaos. And so it's very interesting to me that so much of our player development, what do we try to do? We try to eliminate the chaos. We try to structure everything. Yeah. We try to structure everything and then the game happens and it's mass chaos. And so I got to tell, excuse me, coaches and players, like there's a time for perfection. You have like five on O set plays. You have three man weave. You have like, don't let the ball hit the floor, make all your layups. I get that. We need to be sharp. There's a time and a place for that. But we also need situations where like the game is, is super chaotic and like how, like the game requires that we are able to play well and perform in those chaotic situations. So we also need to work on it. And then you have coaches, like I work with a ton of youth programs in the winter and, and even like with the high school programs in the fall, we'll have coaches that'll say things like, you know, our guys aren't super skilled. And so, or our girls aren't super skilled or whatever program I'm working with. And so we try to really like structure things. And what is interesting in that is if let's say Charlie's like not super, not super skilled. Facts. And, <laughs> and so in that situation, we're just going to give him and his four teammates like a continuity, continuity offense where Charlie catches a basketball. We've eliminated his decisions. He catches it. He reverses it. Like just like flex. But if we don't teach him to play within chaos, what happens when he catches the ball and he goes to reverse it and they deny that pass? Charlie's like, I don't know what to do. I'm supposed to throw it to him and he's not open. Right. And then coach is like, yeah, like we can't. Yeah. Like you're stuck. Mm-hmm. And so that's the interesting part of the game that I think is super fascinating. Coaches do that on defense. So like, well, we can't guard on offense. So, or we can't guard on defense. So then we're going to go zone. I'm like, you, you do realize that if you're going to be really good at zone, you almost have to have a better understanding of man-to-man principles because if you run an effective zone, it's actually – zone is hard. Like, I'm guarding you, and now, wait a minute, Charlie's going to come and now bump me, so now he's going to guard him. So now for a half a second, we have two guys here, and now I got to cover the corner. And Like, it actually becomes more difficult, but you have coaches that they – like they try to, like Charlie was saying, I have to control everything. They feel that need. We've eliminated all these variables. And I think a lot of times, and I don't mean to sit here and bash on coaches because I did the same thing, but I think we do that because we don't know how to make corrections. So I'm like, I don't know how to fix this. So let's just try to remove the variables. And then if the kids can't figure it out, we're just like, oh, we suck on offense or we can't guard. And it's like, well, what are we doing to actually solve the problem. So ultimately I think it comes down to like the game is super chaotic. We have to be able to play in those situations as that's just what the game requires. That ties in really nicely to your piece on education. And I want to touch on this because the student athlete, that relationship is so strong. I really benefited from the education system growing up. I was like really good at quick math. Like I did well in school. Um, and, you know, I, I enjoyed school probably more than the average person. I did well in standardized tests. So I never questioned it. I'm like, this benefits me. Like, yeah, like I'm going to get like a 95 on this test and I go on to the next one. But then you get into the real world and it's like, hey, like this isn't like a, like it's not like input X, output Y. It's like there's a thousand inputs and a thousand outputs. And guess what? Like you broke up with your girlfriend and you're in grad school, so you have no money and like school's hard and it's like how do you handle the stress like how are you going to react there's so many like nuances and kind of chaos like you said at play and it's like now what do you do and if you didn't have those tools growing up it's like okay like you dominate school great now what 
And then like you get out of school, it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm not prepared for this. But as, so going back to your point on education though, what are like some other areas that we can show people are smart, creative, innovative, uh, educated, that goes beyond just like the standardized test. Cause we all know like standardized tests aren't great. Like they only show a small little piece of intelligence. Do you have any other ideas or input to demonstrate that for the average student? I think it's difficult because <clears throat> that's just how everything is structured. Mm -hmm. I just, I just look at my own personal experience that like, if I were to take a, if there was a topic that I wasn't super passionate about, like I struggled with it yet. I I'm looking here in, in my office and there's a VHS tape here on one of the shelves. That's the twins win the Minnesota twins won the 1987 world series. I was born in 89. It was two years before I was even born. And like when I was a little kid, I, I watched that video before like baseball practice in the morning, probably like a hundred times. Like I could go through and like narrate the whole thing, you know, 25 years down the road. And I could tell you the twins starting lineup, their numbers, what positions they played all the, like I, like I was like an encyclopedia First, you know, step, my dad would always be like making fun of me. Like, well, what shoes were they wearing? Cause I'd always be like, Oh, it's the guy with the purple Kobe's. My dad's like, I'm not looking at his shoes, dude. There were so many things that <clears throat> I realized later in life. Like, no, that's a gift. Like I'm, I was, there were certain things that I just wasn't passionate about, like in the education space. Like I was a mediocre student. I don't think that I was dumb, but I had a difficult time applying myself to certain things that were just education. Cause I was told this, this is the metric. Like, this is what success looks like. And I look back at so many kids that I went to high school with valedictorian or someone that was really smart that really got into the real world and, and struggled. <clears throat> and the funny part is, is one of my best friends who's a year older than me was a dumb jock. You know, we were just like the dumb jocks and, here I am never would have thought that I'd be an entrepreneur because no one ever showed me like, this is what entrepreneurs are. And then as I got older, I realized like, I'm totally an entrepreneur. Like I'm self-motivated. Like no one's going to push me harder than I'm going to push myself. I'm actually, no one's ever said, Hey, read you're creative, but I am actually pretty creative. And I stumbled across that stuff. And my buddy Kyle is a medical device salesman making $400,000 a year. And we're like, dude, we're the, we're the dumb jocks. But Kyle walks into a surgeon's office and you're dealing with some of the most narcissistic, confident dudes on the planet. And they like, I'm like, I've never met anybody that doesn't like Kyle because of his personality. Just a great dude and connects with people. And it's like, I never would have been like, yeah, Kyle's really smart, but <clears throat> he worked really, really hard at sports. And so when he, got the job at Stryker. He was like, I have to work really, really hard at this, but that's not going to sell. It's my personality. And so that was the same thing for me. I had a guy this summer was like, you know, no offense, but like, why would some of these professional athletes want to learn from you? You didn't play at a high level. Like five eleven, six foot, 215 pounds, looking like an outside linebacker. You don't even look the part necessarily. And it's like, what's my, my ability to connect with people. And so like when my wife and I found out we were having twins, I tell people this all the time. Like the, the people that were the most excited for me were Jake Lehman and Andrew Wiggins, two NBA guys, because I built a relationship with them. Like Wiggins wins the NBA finals last year. And I'm like, Hey, congrats, boys. Like, Hey, thanks, man. How are the boys? I'm like, you know, cause we, cause we built that relationship. And so when I, you know, it's kind of a roundabout way to get back to answering your question, but it's like encouraging people, encouraging younger athletes to know that, hey, <clears throat> there's a lot of ways that you can be successful in life based off of your gifts and your skill set. And for some of you, it might not even include college. Like some of you guys like, hey, maybe it's you want to play college basketball and you want to do that, but then maybe you want to get into real estate. Cause you'd be really, really good at that. Cause number one, I think you're pretty smart. 
and your ability to connect with people and you have a passion for passion for helping people right and so like showing those showing kids that there are other avenues out there than just what everybody says because for me I kind of had to have that discovery piece on my own that I never would have if you'd hooked me up to a lie detector test I'd have been like they're like are you creative I'm like nope and I'd have passed because I did not think I was creative I, I look all oh, entrepreneurs they're like super smart they're doing all this stuff and then it's like hey I'm actually pretty good at this stuff COVID hit <clears throat> they shut down the gyms and I pivoted launched an online app we had 2,500 people on zooms we had all this stuff and all of a sudden I'm like I got guys calling me like, dude, you're ahead of the curve. I'm like, I am actually. Yeah, I kind of am. But it was something that no one ever said that to me. Like, Hey, you're creative. You should really double down and invest in yourself. And so that's something that for me, I'm doing understanding the power of mentorship in my own life and say, Hey, how can I, how can I do that? And then mentor these other kids. And then ultimately I think it comes down to just being honest with them. Like, Hey, what are your, what are your goals here? How are we going to get there? Because it does, it's, it does no good to not be honest with kids. You build a relationship, you let them know, hey, this is like, if I can do this, anybody can do this. Because I worked really, really hard at it. And I think you can do the same thing. And giving kids that like, oh, like my story is powerful. I'm from a town of 490 people, didn't play basketball at a high level. And this is what I'm doing. So you can do it too. Yeah, I think a, a lot of what you just said there, Reed, like, you're, you're a great example of being like a product of the system that you were brought up in. And I don't think you really found that creativity, that entrepreneurial spirit until you took the leap and like, like you met DJ and you got that all started on your own when you were in New York. But like you didn't, you never had the opportunity to discover those things. Like you came up in a traditional, um, you know, public school system and you went to, you went to private undergrad and then you got in the coaching system, which is, like college basketball is very systemic still. And uh, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, you, you, it's great. You discovered all those things, but like, what if you discovered those earlier? Like how do we find opportunities for kids to discover those things about themselves when they're, you know, 15, 16, 17 versus 28, 29 or whatever. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's an interesting question. And I think there's two sides to that. Number one, um, I would not be the person that I am or have had the success that I've had had I not gone through the, some of those other things. True. And I, and I think part, part of like you, you ask a really, really good question where it's like, hey, how do I like imagine me working with you at 17? Let's say you learn something from me, you know, at 28. You're like, well, why didn't hey, I wish I could have learned this from you at 17? Yeah, but where would that have? You know, maybe you didn't. Maybe that wouldn't have been the right time either. Mm -hmm. And so I, 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 I am also like, want to be cognizant of that. That like we should help Kit and like shouldn't hold back information. But like for me, I had to, I had to be the college coach. I had to be the guy that made fifty thousand dollars in seven years total. Like as a, you know, one of those, like, just like grinding it out, like in order for me to have some of the financial successes that I've had, I had to build a, like, I didn't check my bank account. Like the last place that I lived as a college coach, I lived in my buddy's grandparents' basement. They charged me 150 bucks a month. And part of my wedding gift was they sent me an envelope with like the last seven checks that they never cashed. Like for a guy not making very much money, you're like seven times 150. That was a lot of, that was a lot of money. I wasn't even checking my bank account. Cause I wasn't, I was like, man, you know what? I got enough money to survive. I don't have a ton of overhead for crying out loud. I'm wearing suits that I have. And then the basketball program's given me all my other clothes. Like it doesn't, it didn't matter. And so for me to successfully run a business, it wasn't about the exit. It wasn't about running a business. It was about developing a work ethic and then fine tuning. Hey, how do you actually set up a business model here? And so that's the big thing where like experience is, is huge. Um, but then there's also like for me to spend time in the gym with kids, like I get, I'll get text messages from parents that I've never met because their kid 
you know, I get that a lot, which is super weird where I have a kid that comes in for two to three years. I never met their parents because they're just driving all the time, but I'll text with them. And they're just like, Hey, you know, Grayson came home the other day and was like, you know, Reed said this to me today and I never thought about it this way. And so if I can just start to not necessarily give them the magic words or say something, but just like, Hey, let's get you thinking about this a little bit differently than I think some of that you can almost manipulate some of that into happening on the, on its own. Like they start to think a little, it's like, I don't have to teach you something. I just have to train you to think about things differently. Like how many times in your life can you look back? And I don't know that I can necessarily think of a specific situation where like someone, someone explained taxes to me the other day. And like, you have different States that like don't have income tax. I'm like, well, they don't have income tax. I mean, how's the state make money? I saw something that Florida was doing the other day and they're like, yeah, we're actually just pumping like millions of dollars into the, the Everglades to try to clean some of that stuff up. And we don't have income tax and we're still way over budget. You're like, Oh, I just, maybe that's not the only way to do it. Right. But so many people are just wired like, Oh yeah, you just got to like tax the heck, tax the heck out of people. And that's how the state makes money. And, and then you you're like, oh, and I don't know anything about taxes. I just saw that the other day and it was just made me think like, well, how do they pay for the roads? You know, how do they pay for all this stuff? And it's like, no, let me just show you that there are other avenues for you to do this versus what you've been taught in school all the time or what you've been taught. And it's just like, oh yeah, if you can have some of those light bulb moments where how many times do you have a, you have something where you're like, I just don't think this makes sense but you don't have the ability to just like trust, trust your gut on it. That's like the, the ash studies. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that from like the 1950s or sixties where like the logo on my sweatshirt catalyst training, we have a hundred people come in a room and, and the first five people look at it and they're like, well, that says Nike on it. Charlie gets up and he's looking at it and he's like, that doesn't say Nike on it. But because the first five people said Nike, he says Nike. And they did, they did stuff like that, where it was like, Hey, I think 80% of the group at least once went with the group and then they get done. It's like, Charlie, you know, it says catalyst training, right? He's like, yeah, I know. But like, I didn't give myself, I didn't trust myself enough. or I didn't have the courage to go against the group. And so that's the psychology aspect for me is like, Hey guys, sometimes there's things that you know are right. You need to trust your gut and you just need to have a little bit of courage to, to move on it. Like when I moved to New York city and I got out of college coaching, people thought I was crazy. I'm like, well, my family just moved. My fiance is working in reality TV in New York city. I'm not going to get her to move to Moorhead, Minnesota. There's no market for that. And so I, I just was like, Hey, this is the right thing to do. And I trusted my gut and what I've seen from a lot of guys in the industry is they don't necessarily have the courage to do that. Cause they were told if you get out of coaching, you won't get back in. And it's actually funny to see people that I think I've driven nuts because it'd be easier for me to get a college job now than it would have um, back then. But I, I went against the grain. I went outside of the box. And so to teach these kids, like, it's okay to do some of this stuff, bet on yourself, have some courage, and then work really hard. You know, I had three brothers growing up. They were all saying Nike and I knew it was catalyst training. So that really held my potential back. So I blame them for <laughs> some, whatever. If I didn't hit my ceiling in life, it's because they were telling me Nike the whole time. I really yeah. like that study though. And I've seen other ones where they put like animals in like environment and they like uh, deter the animals from like touching like the, the ceiling or getting out yes. or the fruit. And then they replace all the animals. And then all of a sudden... None of the animals are there for the original experiment, but they've all learned like, don't do this, mm -hmm. even though it's like a positive thing. And they, yep. and it's, it's so much of it is environment, who you interact with and kind of the, the synopsis of this podcast, communication, relationships, psychology, understanding other people. It's so funny when you're talking about your childhood and like who you are as a person, <laughs> like I see a lot of that in in Charlie growing up, he was the one where it's like, he knew the height, the weight, the school of like every basketball player. It's like, dude, like he knew more about like the games that I played in than I did. He's like, yeah, remember you guys, 
you played St. Louis Park. You won like 53-49. There's like, no, I don't remember that game, but apparently <laughs> you did. So, but he also has like, he probably wasn't labeled as creative growing up, even though he is. He has that like, hey, I'm going to like work. No one's going to push me harder than I am. So I can see why you guys got along so much as player and coach. Cause it's like mm-hmm. when you're, if you just like covered your screen and told me all those things again, I'd be like, yeah, like you're talking about Chaz, right? It's like, no, you're talking mm-hmm. about Reed. It's like, oh, now I get why you guys had this like really good relationship. Cause you saw things a certain way and maybe a little bit different than everyone else did or how you were told to like, Hey, this is like the box. You got to stay in the box. It's like, well, there's actually a better box right next to it that has some good characteristics of the first box. We're not going to throw those away, but like, we're going to expand that a little <clears> bit because life can, there's so many different ways to success. And you mentioned that too, like your friend is super successful. You're super successful. And that's just a really good uh, role model for people, whether you are coaching them in basketball or if you're the next door neighbor or whatever relationship you have. Um <clears throat> And I think that's really awesome. I think this is an excellent way to wrap up the pod. Thank you, Reed, for taking time to talk with us. I feel like I'm already a better person and therapist and coach just from talking to you here. And I know Charlie's appreciated you throughout the years. So thanks again for taking time. And it was absolutely a joy talking to you. Oh, this is great. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Awesome.